Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. Today's guest is Zoe Ammer. Zoe has 11 years experience as a charity trustee and currently sits on the board of Charity Digital Trust, formerly known as Tech Trust. Previously, she was on the board audit and risk subcommittee at Samaritans as their digital expert. Before founding Zoe Amar Digital, she worked for five years as part of the leadership team at a national charity which advise nonprofits about technology. She's the winner of an inspiring communicator award from Charity Comms, and she was recently voted one of the 25 most influential charity leaders by Charity Times. Hello, Zoe. Great to have you on the Digital Leaders Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Robin. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so am I. Really looking forward to our conversation. So, um, I know you, but uh, our listener may not. So, can you start by sort of telling us who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so my name is uh, Zoe Ammer. I run a social enterprise and digital agency, Zoe Ammer Digital. And we've been going for about seven years. Uh, And what we do is we help charities and other nonprofits lead digital change successfully. Um, So we've worked with organizations ranging from Great Ormond Street to Anglia Ruskin University to NSPCC, um, helping them work out where they really need to go with digital and and how they're going to get there. Um, With various other hats on. I'm also chair of the Charity Digital Code of Practice, uh, which is a uh, framework to help charities use digital to really increase their skills and to be more sustainable and to grow their impact. Uh, And I'm also very proud to be a trustee at Charity Digital Trust. Brilliant. So some of those clients you're mentioning are quite large. And I imagine you, I mean, just at a practical level, you probably have to be a certain size to have the expenditure infrastructure and kind of understanding to hire consultants. Do you tend to work with larger charities? Well, it varies, actually. Um, So one of the reasons why we have actually kept our um, structure fairly small, so we have a team which I've just grown recently, which is now up to 21. But the reason why we we, we don't have an enormous team and a huge amount of infrastructure is because it's really, really important to me uh, that we go and work with small organisations as well as really large ones. Um, So we've worked with some tiny, tiny charities, you know, some who perhaps are just run by a very small band of, of, of volunteers. Um, we were recently working with a, a, a tiny charity based down in Oval who are doing fantastic work with schools in their community. Uh, and, and the thing that gets me really excited about the organisations we work with, whether they're small or large, is about uh, whether they have that appetite for change and they're truly open to, to doing things differently. So really, that's my number one criterion, deciding who we're going to help. That's, that sounds... Great. I mean, the one of the projects which I know you're aware of, uh, or one of the indexes, is the Lloyds Bank Digital Business and Charity Index that comes out each year. How are, how are charities doing? I mean, I know they're moving, they're rising on the tide with the rest of us, but I always get the slight impression they're behind. Is that your impression? And are, are, do they face particular circumstances that make it at least 
slightly more challenging than for business and government? Yeah, so I think there's there's lots of really interesting sort of almost questions within that question. Um, so I, I think the first point there, which is about are charities struggling with this stuff, is I mean, the honest answer, if we look at the, the index and also uh, some of the studies that we've been involved in, such as the Charity Digital Skills Report, the, the honest answer there is, is yes. Uh, and I'd imagine that's a struggle that's happening in, in a lot of other industries at, at the moment. Um, so so if we look at the, the most recent Lloyd's Index, which was just obviously launched back at the end of November, we can see that those organisations who are um, you know, improving their, their digital skills and practice recognise that they save at least one day a week. Um, but at the same time, you know, 63% of charities are saying that they're not planning to adopt customer or data analytics skills in, in the future, uh, which, which is rather surprising and and worrying and I'd be interested to see how that benchmarks with other sectors actually uh, but I think that the charity sector faces some really unique challenges around resourcing uh, so obviously as we all know charities whether they're large or small are often very tight in terms of, of resourcing uh, to a certain extent many will have a dependency on the the funds that they they raise as well uh, and then I think there's also some really interesting questions questions uh, about charity governance as well. Um, and speaking as someone who's been sitting on charity boards for, gosh, more than 10 years now, uh, I do think there is something about how charity governance really needs to evolve and enable this much more agile, fast moving, more fluid way of working that we need to see in the charity sector. And I'd imagine in other sectors too. You're working in a really interesting area. How did you end up there? What sort of what was your early career? What inspirations did you have? It sounded you kind of hinted that you're a bit of a coder and maybe on the technical side of digital, but that may not be the case. Can you kind of explain how you've ended up in this fantastic role that you've got now? Oh, that's that's a, a great question because my route to uh, running my uh, agency and some of the work that I'm doing and, and working in digital has 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 not been a straight line, uh, and it was really interesting hearing Dan such on. Uh, this podcast recently because he was saying that he started life as a teacher and that was actually my very very first job a very long time ago when I first left university um, I did an English literature degree uh, I was really passionate about that and I decided to go off and become a teacher uh, and Bizarrely, I do think that kind of curiosity that, that comes with teaching and, and learning how to work with groups of people who aren't always motivated and engaged and uh, also to, to, to kind of do workshops and things like that, the stuff that I do now very much came from that. Um, and after having taught, uh, I, I then had this weird, nerdy, burning urge to go off to law school. Um, I come from a family where there's quite a lot of lawyers. So I went off and I went to law school and um, I did that for a while actually. So I um, qualified and I ended up working, uh, I ended up working for um, Clifford Chance after I left law school, a paralegal there. And I went off and I qualified in a firm in the West End and then also worked in a city firm specialising in commercial property. Uh, but what I uh, found there is that whilst I enjoyed working with clients and obviously some of the process side of law, uh, there was, uh, you know, there wasn't much opportunity to be innovative or, or creative, and I was working um, 
you know, in an office there at the, the time when and we were just starting to see technology and, and digital begin to, to kind of have a big impact on the way that we were all working. And I remember at one point in um, when I was working at Clifford Chance, in fact, sitting in my office in the 26th floor in this massive building, Canary Wharf, um, thinking, surely there must be a way that uh, robots or technology could do some of the work that lawyers are doing. Uh, and, and that wasn't actually happening at that point in, in the noughties, or certainly if it was, it was in a very nascent way. Um, so eventually I became slightly frustrated and I had been doing pro bono work in the charity sector for quite a long time. And I thought I've got to go off and explore this. And this was back in 2007. So I did this thing, which was um, wild and foolish, but probably the most um, the smartest thing I've ever done, which was I decided to quit my job. Um, I put myself through some uh, career coaching and um, I tested, you know, all these different options for what I was going to go off and do. And working in the charity sector and exploring this nascent interest in technology uh, was very much the thing that I kept coming back to again and again. So I went off to this fantastic organization called Reach Volunteering and said, can you find me a placement in the charity sector? They paired me up with a charity called Laza, which you may know, Robin, um, which at that point in its history was advising charities and also some government bodies about technology uh, and was doing some really interesting work. Um, and after I'd been paired up with that organization, I was doing a pro bono placement there and I'd been there for a few weeks. They said, would you like to come and be our first head of marketing? Uh, and I was there for five years and I learned a huge amount. And that was where I really nurtured and grew my interest in, in digital. And then after I'd had my second child, uh, I decided that I wanted to do something that was a bit more flexible. Uh, and that was when I set up my agency. So coming up to seven years ago now. Um, but of course, despite aiming to do something a bit more flexible, I've actually become really busy. Um, and as you'll know, Robin, you know, when you run uh, your own organization, um, you, you end up working quite a lot. But it's such an interesting and satisfying and um, I'm so lucky to, to do this. I feel really, really privileged to be working with charities and nonprofits or alongside them on this journey to help the sector evolve. That's a, a great, yeah, no, great journey. Um, teacher, lawyer. Uh, gosh, I, I mean, I'd sort of... Um, my background's in, in commercial property as well, actually. So we oh, share. is it? Yes, Amazing. I'm a child. I was a child. Well, I still am, but I used to practice as a child surveyor in the commercial property world. So, uh, And actually doing sort of charity-based, government-funded buildings. So I used to go and I'm pretty sure I went to Clifford Charts. And, uh, oh, really? I think I sat in reception once and was served sort of very nice coffee and club biscuits. And the person oh, they had who, great biscuits there, really good biscuits. biscuits. <laughs> when I got taken upstairs, the person, the pro bono lawyer that took me up said they wouldn't have given you club biscuits if they knew that you were here on a pro bono job. So <laughs> they must have been thrown off by the tie and suit back then. Anyway. Um, oh, so, very good. What now, I'm sure, what are you working on now? What What is the project of the moment or the... Perhaps as it's the start of a new decade, the kind of 2020 initiative that you're focused on in this sector at the moment? We're working on some really exciting projects at the moment. So obviously one of the, the big things that I'm working on uh, is chairing the Charity Digital Code of Practice, uh, which was launched 
at the end of 2018. Um, so what we've been doing over the last few months when we secured funding for year two uh, was uh, we've been doing a big piece of user research. So we've been talking to the charities who've been using the code. Uh, we've had some really interesting case studies of um, organisations who are using it and talking to everyone from uh, Click Sergeant to NSPCC um, to lots of other different charities, you know, small and large, about how they're using the code and um, what they're using it for and how it's helping their organisations and their digital practice move forward. Um, so we're actually in the process of developing a new site for the code at the moment. Uh, so that's going to be taking up quite a lot of my time over the next few months. And then we're going to be really promoting some of these fantastic charities who are using the code. We've got a load of brilliant code champions to announce. Uh, and I, I can't say too much about that at, at the moment because it's all under wraps. Uh, but I'm really, really excited to, to be talking about that. We're also working on the new Charity Digital Skills Report, which is our annual barometer of how charities are using digital and some of the opportunities and challenges they're facing in that area. So a bit of a, a companion piece in some ways to the, the Lloyd's Digital Index, which I think is an excellent resource. Um, and um, a big, quite topical piece of work that we're involved in at the moment is about trolling of charity sector leaders. So we created a report last year, which was about trolling of female CEOs, some of whom have been through an absolutely horrific time with getting death threats on Twitter and awful abuse. And um, we're working with Charity Digital Trust, where I'm, I'm a trustee, on some next steps to see what can be done about this um, awful issue and what can be done to support leaders, um, whether they're male or, or female, however they identify, uh, to make sure that they get the support they need to deal with this very pressing issue. That's, um, well, let's talk about that. I mean, I imagine our listener probably is blissfully unaware that that sort of behaviour is going on? Because I think awareness is always kind of a challenge. Say Akiwowo um, was Digital Leader of the Year in 2019 uh, in the uh, DL100 and was also overall winner. And this is the area where she works, is um, political trolling, particularly of women politicians. But So that was an absolute eye-opener for me, but I'm kind of surprised to hear, and I hope our listener is kind of surprised and very concerned to hear that this trolling of women CEOs and the charity sector seems, to tell us more, let's, let's get some facts out there. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think like you, before I was involved in the report, I thought, oh, this is the kind of thing which only happens to, you know, female MPs and celebrities and you need a certain magnitude of fame, as it were, to receive this kind of abuse. Um, but the reason why this report came about is that I was uh, running a session at the Akivo conference about 18 months ago, which is the, the membership body uh, for charity CEOs. And a number of female CEOs uh, came along to a workshop I was running and, and said that we want to talk to you about these, these this awful online abuse that we've been getting. And um, 
there was this moment in in the room where there was suddenly the sense of oh gosh it's it's happening to me as well and oh gosh I thought I was the only one this is happening to you know it's happening to me too uh, and what we found was um we, we put out a uh, survey to uh, female charity CEOs and uh, 48% of them said that they had been trolled which I was quite surprised by because I, I wasn't expecting it to be as high as that uh, and some really really horrifying stories came out of that so some very inappropriate behaviors from um you know someone mentioned that they had had some, some very dodgy direct messages from 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 people on twitter um but also uh g- getting lots of um abuse online and and death threats um I've got the report in front of me at the moment, actually, and, and one of the CEOs was telling um, me that they had uh, that they had been blamed for for some child's deaths, uh, and this was only very tangentially related to a, a job that they had been involved in some time ago. So I, I do feel like there's a, a wider thing here that's going on in society, unfortunately, of how. Um, women are almost being punished for having an opinion and putting themselves out there. Uh, And of course, as part of this report, what we want to do is is to make sure not only that these women and also other leaders in the sector feel supported to to deal with this issue, um, but also that we, we don't stop attracting more incredibly talented people who should be coming into the charity sector to be the leaders of, of tomorrow um, because of course we've seen that issue with with MPs recently haven't we as, as as well some MPs actually standing down in the most recent election because they don't want this this level of abuse understandably and we don't want to get to that point in the charity sector the charity sector is nothing without the fantastic people that it employs and who support it and we cannot afford to lose them no, I couldn't agree more. And as you say, you kind of, I mean, it's tough enough getting, you know, getting into senior positions and doing a great job without that being a factor in your decision making about, you know, do I, do I want to take on sort of online abuse that will come with my role, you know, because I'm a woman? I mean, that's just, um, it just seems ridiculous. I'm not sure what the answer is. Tell us about the report. So there, is the report published? Can we go and read it somewhere? Yes, absolutely. I mean, if your um, uh, members and other supporters are interested to read it, we, we published it, I think it was last o- October, actually. Um, and what we're doing is Charity Digital Trust will be running a round table, which will be over the next few weeks, in fact. Uh, they're just firming up the final details. But the idea is to bring together some leaders who've been affected by this issue, as well as some other stakeholders as well, uh, and start to think about well, what are the next steps on this? Um, so in the report, we did ask some CEOs what they, they thought would be helpful for them in, in terms of um, where they could go from here. And lots of people mentioned things like guidance and legal advice. And of course, um, you know, whether there's there's a way to help the uh, the, the platforms be a, a safer environment for people as well. So lots of, of really good, really interesting issues to work through. The one thing I want to go back and ask you about is the code, because you've mentioned it a few times, but our listener may not know what it is or where they can get hold of a copy. Mm, yes, of course. So um, the Charity Digital Code of Practice uh, is, is, is basically a way to help charities 
um, improve how they're using digital um, by uh, setting up best practice for both small and large organizations. Uh, and it covers uh, seven key principles. So everything from leadership to how to be more user-led, uh, to strategy, to culture, to skills, to risk and ethics and also how your organization can adapt for the future. Uh, so it's available over at charitydigitalcode.org. Uh, we will be redeveloping the site over the next couple of months. So it will be looking um, much prettier uh, over the over the sort of springtime. Um, but yes, absolutely people can go and look at it then. Of course, if they've got any questions about it, it's a completely free resource um, and open to anyone to go and look at. If, if anyone's got questions there, I'm really happy to have a chat with them. So this is the Digital Leaders Podcast. So we have to talk about leadership and you have been talking about leadership already. So how important is digital leadership, you know, leading in a digital age? I think it's absolutely fundamental. Uh, I don't really see how you can be a leader in this day and age without being a digital leader. It's absolutely core to the skill set of any modern leader. So having a really clear vision of where your organization can go and how digital is going to get you there. Uh, and most importantly, what you're, you're going to do uh, along the way and what you're not going to do as well. Because I think one of the big challenges is because there is an absolute plethora of choices in digital. I sometimes see organizations get kind of excited and try to do everything. Uh, and a big part of, of what I do is, is, is actually about helping them say no uh, and working out what they, they really need to prioritize. So absolutely. I mean, I think that in five years time, maybe even sooner, uh, people will really see it as fundamental as having a good knowledge of finance or governance um, or policy is something that is absolutely key to every leader, regardless of whichever sector they operate in. And where do you start? So if you're feeling very undigital at the moment, but you are in charge of an organisation, where, where do you go? Where do you look? Where, what is your first step? You might know where you want to be in 12 months. Mm. But what do you do on Monday? I think that the first step on, on this journey, actually, before perhaps they even have a, a conversation with someone like me, uh, is, is just to be curious. Um, I think that a lot of the time, even some of the digital leaders that I know in the charity sector who are really, really good at this stuff, people give themselves a, a very hard time. They think that overnight, I've got to become Steve Jobs. Uh, and of course, that's, that's, that's really challenging for a lot of people. And you don't have to be Steve Jobs. Uh, you just need to have that clarity of vision that we were talking about and a good idea of, of where you're going to go. Uh, so I think a, a really good, quite you know, easy first step is to go and talk to another leader, perhaps in a not dissimilar organization who you think is perhaps a bit more confident with this stuff and just ask them, how did they do it? How did they learn about it? And even simple things like who do they follow on Twitter and what newsletters are they signed up to? And, and how did they start to, to just learn about this stuff? So I think it's very important to approach this, this kind of thing in, in a real learning mindset. Uh, and then I think what's really 
critical after that is to start to start to kind of assess the scale of the challenge, as it were. So, so what we tend to do uh, with charities is, is we have this uh, digital leadership framework, which focuses, in fact, I was using it with a charity this morning, which is about some of the behaviours you see in digital leaders. And that's actually a framework we're going to be um, rolling out, I think, a, a little bit more later this year. Um, but by talking through those behaviours a bit more objectively, then that helps people to name them um, and not feel ashamed of them, because I do think that's really important. If someone doesn't yet have that clear idea of where their organisation is going with digital, I don't think they should be berated for that. I think they need to be supported with working out what the options are uh, and where they they need to go. Um, And there's plenty of ways to do that, even if you just spent an hour every day on, um, you know, just just Googling stuff and reading stuff in your lunch hour, I think that would take you some way forward. Uh, So just helping really understand where people are at and where they need to to get to um, is is vital. And I think leaders really need to take ownership of that process. I really like, I mean, I would, given that we are digital leaders, but I really like this concept of peer-to-peer networking, which, which is much of what we do, sort of finding as you say someone who just looks more competent but on a similar journey and then asking them you know to to help them and as you say it's not rocket science is it i mean working out who to follow on twitter based on recommendations and newsletters and uh and also i guess avoiding the famous snake oil salesman uh by saying you know who who do you think i could talk to or who would you recommend or not recommend so i think the networking element is incredibly important to this and then yes as you say i think i mean we had a conversation about this the other day at within the digital leaders uh, one of our salons and leaders get to lead by being incredibly good at spinning what's currently happening within their organization as all being good they're not culturally pre-programmed to go around pointing out that there's problems or that there are gaps in their knowledge or understanding so Culturally, I think it's quite hard for a, a leader to, to kind of accept that there is a problem and be prepared to champion that problem without a sense that that isn't what they're good at. You know, in other words, you know, what I'm good at is saying that wherever we are, it's a good place to be and it's going to be great. So do you have, do you, would you agree with that? That, um, you know, good leaders in a non-digital world are pre-programmed behaviorally to kind of want to always say things are good and to spin any situation positively and therefore find it hard to kind of talk openly about challenges. Absolutely. I think that's such a good way to frame this problem. And I think what we are seeing through the evolution of digital leadership now is something of a dismantling of decades and decades of this much more traditional style of leadership, um, which, as you say, is very much about that command and control and centralised power structure and everything's great and I'm, I'm, I'm leading this from, from the front and there are no chinks in my armour. Uh, whereas actually some of the most powerful examples of, of leadership that we're all starting to see now are where leaders open up about their, their vulnerabilities and their challenges and the fact that they don't have all the answers. Uh, and I think that's a much more human, more well-rounded style of leadership, which then gives 
your colleagues and your team the, the permission to fail and to try things differently and and to understand that that they are empowered as well and and there is you know a bit of a devolution of leadership across organizations now too uh, so where we are supporting sometimes more traditional leaders that first step is about helping them be more comfortable with saying i don't have all the answers on this and that's okay yeah i couldn't agree more Thank you so much. So um, this is our listeners' favourite part of our podcast where we get to ask you three questions. So of our quickfire rounds, we call it, a book you would recommend to our listener as a, as a good, a must read? A book that I absolutely loved recently um, was, and I'm probably going to say his name wrong, so please, please forgive me, um, a fantastic book uh, called Indistractable by Nir Eyal. I really hope I'm saying that right. Apologies if I'm not. But it's a fantastic book about uh, how you start to focus your attention more in the digital age. And it's it's all about how you can manage your inbox more effectively, but also just some wider, quite big questions about how um, obviously with so many different calls on your time as a leader and, and so many channels and so many different people wanting your attention, how can you make sure that you're as productive as possible and you can really get down and cover all the many things you need to during the day? Uh, and and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's really changed the way I work over the last few months and it's full of really good, really practical advice. So I would recommend that to everyone. That sounds great. Indistractable. Great name yes. for a book as well. So our second quickfire question is someone living or dead you would like to have lunch with and why? Well, I'm going to go for another author actually here. Um, so um, one of the great privileges of, of what I do is that I see how leaders make decisions. And what we do is we get to, to work with people to help them make better decisions, which is so fascinating. And we're so lucky to do that. Uh, so I was really interested to read Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, uh, Talking to Strangers, which is all about how everyone who is human is really bad at making <laughs> decisions. And everyone thinks they're great at making decisions. But actually, all of us have biases and we get distracted by things and we focus on the wrong things. And we make a lot of assumptions about other people and the way that events will turn out. Uh, so uh, that book was was absolutely fascinating. And, and I found it quite a challenging read as well. It got me thinking about how I make decisions too. So I, I really recommend that as a great read for leaders. And do you think Malcolm would be a good lunch guest? Oh, yes, absolutely. Excellent. Okay. Two, we've not had two authors before, at least an author for lunch. That's, yes. That's particularly interesting. So last but not least, something about you our listener might find surprising. Well, um, not many people know this, but I make all of our bread. I love baking bread. Um, I make a very nice white spelt loaf. Uh, and I'm also a big fan of baking cakes as well. That sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun. So now where does that come from? When did that begin? 
Well, that actually began a few years ago because um, my son, who's now nine, uh, was diagnosed as having um, uh, some food intolerances. And we were looking at gluten-free bread and it doesn't always have a lot of uh, nutritional value. Uh, so I decided to start baking our own bread and spelt is a lot easier on the digestive system, apparently. Uh, and then once I started doing it, I thought this is really tasty and it's quite an iterative thing as well. You know, you keep trying different things and every loaf that you bake is, is a bit different. Uh, and to be honest, much as I love digital, it's nice to have a non-digital hobby as well. And um, gosh, I, I feel almost indecent asking you this question, but are you a dough hook machine person or were you sleeves rolled up, uh, pounding the dough on a, on a surface in your kitchen? The second one, I find it really satisfying. And quite often, if I'm wrestling with a, a big, knotty work problem, um, just rolling my sleeves up, starting to knead the dough, doing something really different away from a screen really begins to unlock what I need to do next. So I find it really satisfying and, and very calming. And is this, are you competitive? Are you sort of um, <laughs> bake-offing around the place? What's, or is this very much in the privacy of your own home? Um, I did enter the Bake Off at our, um, our street has a lovely summer party every year uh, and I did enter it. I enter every year. I did come second once. So those were the, the glory days. Um, I've, I've not placed since, uh, but that's not the point. It's just about doing something really lovely for people. I think that's what I really like about baking um, and, and making them happy just through creating something really nice and, and sharing some lovely food. Uh, so that's why I love baking. Fantastic. Well, that's a great way to finish our podcast. We are out of time, Zoe, but I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much for being on the Digital Leaders Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. That is it for this episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast. Now, of course, we would love to know your thoughts. Tag us at at DigiLeaders and let us know. And if you want to find out more about today's guest, head on over to our website, digileaders.com forward slash podcast, and we have all that information there. That is it for this week. I'm your host, Robin Knowles. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast.